The Genocide Convention of 1948 clearly defined the term genocide as any of the following acts committed with intent to destroy in whole or in part a national ethnic, racial, or religious group, such as A, killing members of the group, B, causing serious bodily or mental harm to members of the group, C, deliberately inflicting on the group conditions of life calculated to bring about its physical destruction in whole or in part, D, imposing measures intended to prevent births, including the group, births within the group, and E, forcibly transferring children of the group to another group. This is Dr. Catherine Bancoli Medina with The Invention of Racism. The goal of this podcast series is to share the subtle and not so subtle nuances of racism from the past into the 21st century. Understanding and speaking the truth about racism is the first step toward combating and ultimately eliminating it. In this episode, we will talk about our last component of the seven pillars of the racist construct, erasure. Remember, there are seven components which help to explain how racism operates in the world. These seven pillars include dominance, management, containment, intellectuality, humanity, reality, and erasure. As defined by the Genocide Convention of 1948, there are several ways to erase a people. In today's podcast, we will point out two main practices in which whole peoples are removed through aggressive physical assault and through the process of neutralization. The first method of erasure is the direct physical removal of people. We have countless examples of this form of genocide from world history. Other terms for genocide have been used such as ethnic cleansing, pogrom, the Jewish Holocaust, Maafa, and the Holocaust of enslavement. When we think about Western forms of ethnic cleansing, we are also reminded of the fight over territory whereby a people's race ethnicity, religion, or culture is used to target them for removal. In this scenario, the state has determined, meaning the elite power structure has influenced the masses of people, that this erasure is necessary for their survival. They have concluded that these unwanted people are dangerous. This form of human erasure is organized, planned, highly propagandistic, and meant to remove groups of people from the planet. You see this important example in the Jewish Holocaust and even in the colonial atrocities of the Belgian Congo. The threat can be traced to the contemporary issues of the Palestinian territories, the Rohingya of Myanmar, and the Uyghurs in northern China. The second way to erase people is to create a world where people don't exist 
as powerful and relevant beings. That is, you neutralize a people, render them helpless, ineffectual, and dependent. People are not treated as if they are real or even human. This, this means that these people live on the margins of society in the reality of the ruling class. They might try to conform and fit in despite the fact that the world they seek entry into was not built for or intended to include them. In fact, the world they so vigorously attempt to enter was constructed on a philosophy of exclusion. Erasure includes the manipulation of the physical body and the mind. People are moved and displaced physically and psychically to accommodate a larger racist initiative. Resolute forms of gentrification are also included here, along with the disaster capitalism that creates refugees after natural catastrophes or acts of God. We see the examples of gentrification all over the country, where predominantly black inner city and urban areas that have been systematically neglected for generations suddenly become available for wealthy elite investment. The model is a simple one. Wealthy investors come and explain the problems plaguing the community. Sometimes they even bemoan the long history of neglect. They pledge to support the existing population and to bring in newcomers. The reality becomes clear when the existing population can no longer afford to live in their own neighborhood and cannot afford the goods and services now being offered. In the case of black people, when they are forced to leave affordable homes and rentals, the project is complete. Disaster capitalism, to reference Naomi Klein's important concept from her book, The Shock Doctrine, is the perfect tool to execute the erasure of populations from specific areas. Because of the devastation of Hurricane Katrina in August 2005, large numbers of, New Orleans black, of the New Orleans black population, including poor and struggling people, were relocated and thus removed from the city. When rebuilding the city was discussed, one of the main issues was to what extent would members of the majority black residents be supported in their right of return. In addition to the documented hurricane preparation and response failures and the mortality, displaced black people suffered economic and cultural losses and mental stressors, including depression. Racial analysts immediately discerned the convenience of catastrophic failures occurring when the community with the greatest need for support and assistance were black. Occasionally, genocide is not just the concerted effort to physically erase people. At times, it is an opportunity to accomplish this goal while appearing blameless or helpless to act. So we understand that human erasure does not have to be planned in order to be effective. It is not always the result of a conspiracy of powerful people making world-altering decisions in back rooms. Sometimes it is a confluence of circumstances 
which make erasure a convenient opportunity. This form of erasure is important because it allows principal actors to suggest that they had nothing to do with the massive loss of life. Now here, you know, of course, I am speaking of the great mortality and incredible numbers of people infected by COVID-19 in the United States. In the future, entire books will be written on the U.S. and worldwide failures of the COVID-19 pandemic response. These books will include information stating that when the pandemic hit, meaning when national, state, and local health departments began noticing and mobilizing, no one bothered to consider the potential impact or outcome on marginalized groups. Racial data on infection and mortality was not kept initially, but healthcare workers on the front lines knew that larger numbers of black and brown people were suffering and dying disproportionately from the virus. The public did not yet know. Now by early April 2020, initial racial data, though scant, were made public and people could see that black and brown people were dying of COVID-19 two to three times the rate of white people. Black people were at a higher risk because of the structural racism in medicine that left serious conditions untreated and more susceptible to COVID-19. Black people lived in areas that had higher issues relative to air pollution and clean water. African-Americans and Latinos were cited specifically for having dense housing occupancy, which compromised social distancing measures. Black people had multiple comorbidities. The presence of two or more diseases or medical conditions. In addition, they possessed jobs that were now classified as essential work, so they could not practice social distancing in optimal ways. We could really go on and on listing the risk factors and the government failures. The point is that by the fall of 2020, public health activists and analysts clearly saw the trend in the neglect associated with the national and state response to COVID-19 and the rise in infection and mortality. As I said, understanding this form of erasure is important because it permits key players, decision makers, to disclaim any responsibility for the genocide they either actively ignored or helped along. Activists, scholars, investigative journalists, and news pundits could see that once it was discovered that the pandemic hit democratic, black and brown areas the hardest, there would be no genuine attempt to right the wrongs of preparedness and response errors. Thank you for listening to this podcast. This is the last episode covering the seven pillars of the racist construct. You can go back to hear the other pillars described in previous podcasts. We will be referencing and adding information to these seven pillars of the racist construct throughout the series. Support for independent podcasts like The Invention of Racism is important at this moment. In the national and global effort to dismantle racism and to establish human equality, 
we need as many thoughtful and courageous voices as possible. If you believe in and appreciate this anti-racism podcast, continue to download and support us. I also encourage you to use your media platform to honestly analyze, examine, and put an end to racism. If you are listening to this podcast series, then you already know. Discourse on racism is not for the faint of heart. I hope that you will continue to join me as I present key topics in the invention of racism.